Hello, this is Evan Ball. Welcome to Striking a Chord, an Ernie Ball podcast. Sometimes music changes in unpredictable ways. For example, early 90s, we get a pretty monumental shift. Flashy, more technically demanding guitar solos, along with makeup and hairspray in some cases, pretty abruptly exit popular rock music. The guitar definitely didn't die, but music just changes. So for a long time, it kind of felt, at least to me, that technical guitar ability for the most part, had peaked with that earlier generation of players. But then, a few years back, I came across Jason Richardson. Admittedly, I was a little late to the party, but I looked Jason up on YouTube, a little skeptical of the hype I'd heard, but I looked him up. Uh, First thing I clicked on was the song called Aviator by a band called Polyphia, and Jason makes a guest appearance on the second half of the song. And all I can say is I was honestly blown away. I didn't know kids these days could do that. This young dude in his early 20s was ripping one of the craziest, most cleanly played solos I've probably ever heard. So Shred is not dead. I know most listeners will be Jason Richardson fans, but just in case you haven't heard him yet, please look him up. Maybe check out the Aviator video. In this interview, I try to figure out what it looks like when someone like Jason Richardson first learns how to play guitar. Is it just easy from the get-go? Is it instant and effortless shredding? He says no. So maybe it's not instant, but from what I could gather compared to a normal human being, it was a remarkably fast process. He references a couple early videos of his playing. After the interview, I looked them up on his Instagram. Uh, One is from his first year playing. The other is from about two years later. And the transformation is amazing. But even in the first video from his first year playing, you can tell this kid's going to have some fast fingers. Anyway, in the podcast, I endeavor to figure out why Jason is so good. We definitely get some insight on that, but it's still a bit mysterious. Perhaps he's an alien. We also talk about when he uses what pickup configurations on his Music Man signature model. We talk about the music and solos he's most proud of, what he's listening to these days, what he does for fun, and more. Ladies and gentlemen, I present to you Jason Richardson. Jason Richardson, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. What's up? All right. So uh, one of my goals on this interview is to uh, try to get to the bottom of how you got so good. I know you've done other Ernie Ball interviews, so I know your Mm -hmm. dad played bass. You were around music early on. Mm -hmm. And you actually played drums first before pursuing guitar? Uh, Guitar was number four. Oh, number four. Okay. Yeah, on the list, the progression of musical instruments that I tried. Okay. Um, It went piano first when I was like a little kid. Um, I was actually, I had a nun as a teacher. Uh, I think she was part of some group called like the singing nuns or something like that. Her name was Miss Daly. So that was like my first bout of like trying to learn stuff. If she could only hear the bands you played in now. <laughs> <laughs> I have no, I haven't talked to her in so like a couple decades. Uh, I have no idea if she's even still around. She was, she was pretty old at that or at that point. Um, and then I think it might've been violin next. Or it was either violin or drums. Those were both very close together. Violin didn't last. That was just fifth and sixth grade, and then drums. Okay. And then guitar. So I kind of want to get a timeline here. So when when did guitar? How old were you when you started playing guitar? I started taking guitar seriously when I was twelve. Twelve. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Christmas. I got my first real electric guitar uh, Christmas of when I was twelve. Okay. So I was like twelve and a half. 
technically around her. So I always wonder what it looks like when someone like you starts playing guitar. I have a video of it. <laughs> yeah, I'd love to see <laughs> yeah, it. It's I mean, how, terrible. How, how, quick, how quickly did you break away from the pack? Um, was there like, is there like a rapid growth period right in the beginning? Well, I, what made me want to start taking guitar seriously was uh, Dream Theater, just to be straight up. It was, uh, it was a Dream Theater album, Train of Thought. I was playing drums at the time. That was my main focus, was drums was my primary instrument. I dabbled on guitar, but I hadn't like taken it seriously whatsoever. So you're like 11 whatsoever. or 12 here? Yeah, yeah. I was probably like 10, 10 or 11, somewhere around there. Wow, okay. um, and... We went into, my dad and I were at Guitar Center and there was a video of Portnoy on in the drum section. Yeah. And my dad asked, he's like, holy crap, like what, what band does that dude play in? They told him in train, this was like 2003, I think was when that album came out. So that was the most recent album out of the time. And he bought that and we started listening to it and I got obsessed with it and was like, I really need to be able, I want to be able to do that. It was literally like what I told myself. So yeah. I started practicing guitar a lot and taking it a lot more seriously. And then eventually got to the point where I was, think I was like maybe 10, 11 months deep into taking it seriously. Like horrible technique, was forearm picking, like just couldn't get like, couldn't get things anywhere near as clean as I wanted to. And my dad, there's this guitar shop called Classic Axe uh -huh. uh, in the area that I lived in. And, and he, my dad was friends with the owner, he befriended the owner over time. And there were, he always heard this like crazy Ingve shredding, like coming from the back room, like just sounded like almost exactly like that. And then found out that, they give lessons there, and that guitar player we always heard, his name is Matt Mills, uh, was, and he was a teacher there. So I started taking lessons with him, like barely even a year into playing. So I think this is noteworthy. So, so 12 years, you pretty much hit the ground running. So instantly your, your goal, you set your sights on a John Petrucci solo, mm -hmm. like when you're 12 years old. The end of this dying soul in particular, that song. <laughs> okay. It's like a minute straight of just like 16th notes at 210. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, six months in, 12 months in, are you, are you like, you know, what's the big deal about this sweet picking? You just, you know, you just go, I mean, were you, was it that uh, easy for you? No, it took a couple of years for sure. Like, okay. cause I mean, a year, fortunately, what I found out uh, over time of me giving lessons on my own to other people um, was I lucked out when it comes to muscle memory. Cause you know, some people that like, I, people have come to me for lessons. They've been playing guitar for like five, sometimes 20 something years without like any sort of like, you know, quote unquote proper instruction yeah. or guidance or whatever. So their technique is like drastically different from what mine would be, but they've been playing that way for so long. So that's just like how their body knows how to play guitar. Yeah. For me, all those, all those bad habits are like hurdles that I would need to get over in order to like perfect my technique in order to be able to play those things better was only not even a year deep. So I was only like, 10 months into taking the instrument seriously before I learned those bad habits that I had. So it was a lot easier for me to break them. Yeah. It, did, it wasn't like I've been playing guitar for 10 years and, the, like, and picking like a really, really, really dumb way that was causing like a ceiling. So, so you saved a lot of time actually getting a, getting a good teacher early on. Mm -hmm. Which was just ironing right, out your form. Yeah, right place, right time. Just but you're like, working on Ingve type stuff or John Petrucci yeah, type I was stuff trying, from the get go. I, yeah, before I went and took lessons from him, I was already learning like Dream Theater and Children Bodum songs and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Like, I was trying to at least. Yeah. And doing a prop, most likely a mediocre job. The video I was referencing earlier was me playing one, the solo from one by Metallica. Oh, okay. And it is horrendous okay so it is trash i laughed so hard is it online it. anywhere yeah i put it on my instagram oh okay yeah it's up there okay I we, we people, can link to it in the show notes 
Yeah. So, so <laughs> how old were you there? I had to have been like, like 12 or 13. Okay, so this is like first year of you, you mm-hmm. playing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, that was like the first stuff I started learning was like Metallica and all of that. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure you're putting a, a ton of time into this. I'm sure your your practice time was pretty crazy, I would assume. It was a lot. I, I would also assume that it's it's not you're just playing a ton of guitar because it's fun. Are you are you the kind of person who who has a goal and then just fixates on it? Uh, Yeah, I could. Yeah, I think that'd be fair to say. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be pretty fair to say. So was mm-hmm. that first goal maybe that that getting the, solo? Yeah, getting the metal stuff down. Yeah, yeah, all pretty much all anything that could be considered you know like shred, like yeah. really really fast like alternate picking runs, all um, arpeggios, and being able to do all of that as clean as possible. That was like I feel like that was my first goal. So, so your dad being a musician, does he recognize? Oh man, my son's got something. I think so. Yeah, I'd hope so. <laughs> <laughs> that yeah, I I feel like he does. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen that video. It's an Ernie Ball video of mm-hmm. you with a, a Rubik's cube, mm-hmm. and you know, I think there's oh, there you go. It's a mm-hmm. tattoo. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's a parallel there. Maybe it's a personality type. I feel I feel like if I've I've probably played with a Rubik's cube maybe for 15 minutes. It's all and patterns. I, yeah, but I, I'd quickly say this is impossible. Like this is just a. a blob of colors and it's not going to happen <laughs> kind of the same way i look at a petrucci solo and say i'm never going to play that mm-hmm. like it's just not with not- that attitude yeah so <laughs> maybe it is attitude yeah <laughs> well i mean the i can kind of, there definitely is a similarity between the two in a way because they're all pattern based like especially with like the really fast metal stuff like you learn like a certain amount of like arpeggios and all their inversions and the more you work with it the more you wrap your head around it and are able to like come up with weird stuff like on the spot based off of those and uh, Rubik's cube in the same way as it's all it's all visual just like recognizing like repeating themes yeah in a way because there's only a certain even though there's like thousands not millions of ways to solve the cube because it's all different like every single time um, to an extent like there's a finite number of way it can ways that they can be solved but it's you see like an arrangement of the colors and where they are and you know what to do next based off that. And the more you do it, the more you recognize repeating patterns and the easier and faster you get at it. But the fact that you, I guess you had the tenacity to actually hunt that down and figure it out probably says something about you. Yeah, I feel like, yeah, now I have ones that are, I have ones that go from like two by two, like smaller than the normal one, all the way up to seven by seven, which is 49 squares on each side. It takes (laughs) me like a half hour. Somewhere around there, okay. 20, 30 minutes. How do you, so how do you split up your time? That seems pretty time consuming. Obviously you're playing guitar a lot. Uh, I don't really mess with the cubes that much anymore. Okay. I just did one the other day just because my girlfriend had some of her friends over while, or while I was gone and yeah. one, one of her friends messed the whole thing up. So I was like, ah, sick. Okay. Yeah, now I'll do it again. It gives me an excuse to do it again. I tell her that whenever she has her friends over while I'm gone to just, if they want to mess with my cubes, like fuck them all up. Like, yeah. I don't care. I'll just, that just makes, gives me an excuse to do them when I get home. You grew up in a, in an era where the guitar solo was almost non-existent in popular music. And if there were solos, they were, they were pretty simple as far as popular mm-hmm. music goes. Yeah. Um, so I would think, I think most so. people your, your age are, who are learning guitar aren't necessarily striving for high proficiency shredding. Um, I know I've heard you say your your dad taught you a Blink One Eighty Two riff early on. Yeah, but you know, then you be you uh, became Jason Richardson. So clearly, um, I was still him then too. <laughs> it's been my name my whole life. But you didn't go. <laughs> but you didn't go. The, you didn't go the Blink route. No, right? I could still play that song. I'm sure you can. Yeah, if yeah. they ever need a guitar player, I would say yes. All right. <laughs> So basically, if I don't know if you were listening to, to to radio stuff, but you mu- you must have also been 
listening to, I don't know, maybe did you go back to like 80s and 90s when there's more like technically demanding solos or or is, was there current music that you found that where ripping guitar was still alive? Uh, well, I was, um, well, obviously, you know, that, that Dream Theater album was the one that really made me start paying attention to more right. of that stuff and that had just come out. Um, I guess like stuff that you would put on the radio, like I never really listened to the radio ever. Like I would... I would listen to like try and find like the more obscure metal kind of stuff like uh, Children of Bodom, and then eventually I found out about you know like Ingve, Paul Gilbert, Nevermore, Jeff Loomis. Um, and so then this I, is like, after you start playing. Do you start seeking out this yeah, this kind mm -hmm. of guitar playing? And yeah, because yeah. it was that it was that Dream Theater album that made me realize I needed to start. I wanted to be able to write my own songs, and then I started the songs I did start learning though, like were more simple at first, like things like Metallica. That was pretty much what I did first was Metallica. I got like three or four of their tab books and like just try, started trying to learn like all of it. Uh, <clears throat> it was pretty much anything from like Ride the Lightning to Black Album was like all the stuff that I started learning from them, which I feel like that was a pretty good like starting point for anyone who's trying to learn that kind of stuff because it's, it's hard, but it's not like the, by any means like the most complicated stuff out there like dream theater for example like metallica yeah. is definitely a way better starting point for someone that's trying to learn that style yeah. of playing um yeah. and it helps helps build chops and stuff like all, all that too because like master puppets you know has to be down picked the whole time so that building your endurance and stamina up to be able to play anything like that how about like let's say let's say 14 year old jason richardson like had you had you met that goal at that point to play that what was the song on the Dream Theater album? The This Dying Soul. Okay, and that mm -hmm. has like the last two or three minutes as a solo, right? Yeah. Are mm -hmm. you picking out a certain part of that? or? Uh, I had found semi-accurate tabs, uh, and I actually I couldn't even start to learn that whole song until I was almost 15, because it's a seven-string song. Okay. And uh, that was when I got my first Music Man, was right before I turned 15. I decided I wanted one when I was 13, and then for a birthday, I asked all my friends to just give me money. I didn't ask for anything else. I was like, just give me money so I can have like, get a good chunk started. So I, it was like, I'd be like, give it to my parents and just be like, all right, this is the start. So yeah. I got like three or $400 total, like for my birthday or something like that, somewhere around that. And then that was like a motivating start for like, you know, a 13 year old be like, all right, I got to save up 1700 bucks over the course of this next year to get this guitar. And you needed that seventh string to complete your mm -hmm. uh, vision there. Yeah. To play that okay, song play and that song. two more frets. And two more frets. Yeah, All so right. I needed seven strings and 24 frets to play that song, especially nice. that end solo in particular because it used the entire range of the whole guitar. Okay. Mm -hmm. and so by, you play it? By that point, uh, by almost 15, my chops were at the point where, yes, I could adequately, I could learn that song and like sit, play it de uh, decently well. All right. There's a video online of me playing it too around that same time. Like cool. a little, okay. a little bit we'll after, we'll I got, link to that too. Yeah, a little bit after I got the guitar. Okay. I think that's another one that I put up on my Instagram a while ago as well. That is fascinating to me. Okay, so about three years in, you could play it. Yeah, you could probably play it better today, but you could, you could, I don't, get, you I could don't get know. there. <laughs> really? All right. Well, so you, uh, that so was way more into like practicing your, then. Your big growth spurt is like those first three years. Right? Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah, but that's a, all due to the muscle memory thing uh, yeah. that I was talking about, where I lucked out. I had only had like 10, 10 to eleven months of playing guitar like improperly with bad technique like forearm picking yeah uh weird left hand stuff like practicing on my right leg as opposed to like classical uh position things like that all that got thwarted right away and my teacher showed me all those techniques that i'm still using today still using all those same techniques that he showed me like barely a year into my playing 
Okay, so you mm-hmm. definitely be a proponent of, of finding a, an instructor pretty early on. So uh, knows what they're doing. Yeah, it definitely helps. That's yeah. for sure. Even if it's like, I mean, the other thing that I found too is teachers is like you got to make sure that you're learning. There are they're showing you what you want to learn, not just like someone who's just like, all right, cool, we're going to learn some Green Day songs and pentatonic scales, and then that's not what they actually want to do at all. You yeah. know what I mean? Because probably the way to get good is to be motivated, and mm-hmm. you're not going to be motivated playing stuff you don't want to learn. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like if some kid comes in and he's like, he like me for example, and I want to yeah. learn like Children of Bodom and Dream Theater, but if there's just some guy there that doesn't really like have potentially even have that skill to be able to teach that kind of stuff, you know? Yeah. But he's just like his parent, the kid's parents are making him go. And he just is doing scales and songs he doesn't want to learn. You know that's not motivating at all. So you kind of lucked like, out like, finding the guy that you did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's another just like right place, right time yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, but you definitely have to make sure your teacher is capable of teaching you what you want to learn in the long run, and you're not just like going to whoever. Okay, so you saved up enough money to get a John Petrucci model, mm-hmm. and that was your favorite guitar for a long time. What's your favorite guitar now? Mine. <laughs> <laughs> the Jason but, Richardson Ernie Ball Cutlass. Nice. Not All biased right. one bit. Yeah, great guitar. Very mm-hmm. cool guitar. I'd say Majesty is second. Okay. Mm-hmm. Majesty would be number two. Now. Okay. It was At this number point, one. Of course, yeah. it was number one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So on your guitar, or maybe maybe any guitar, which when would you use which pickups? So like on your guitar, you have uh, two humbuckers. Mm-hmm. What kind of riffs or what kind of parts would you use, say, on the on the neck pickup, and which what would warrant using the bridge pickup, for example? Um, I pretty much only use switch to the neck pickup when I'm doing like the really really fast shreddy stuff. Um, really really fast alternate picking, which fast happens arpeggios. a lot. Yes, yes, yes it, it can. It's been known to happen. But other than that, I've always found like if you're if you're trying to do something more riffy on the neck pickup. It doesn't really like it doesn't translate anywhere near as well. It's almost like more flubby and like less defined because the pickup is like more ter- towards the middle of the strings, so it has less like brightness and like attack to it for riffing and things like that. So that's why I would always I always switch to the bridge pickup when I'm doing like the really heavy down picking or any riffs or things like that. It's closer to the closer to the bridge, so it's got a more tinny kind yeah. of like high endy attack. Sound to it is as simple as saying you do your rhythm stuff on the on the bridge and your your leads on the mm-hmm. neck. Uh, for the most part, I would say yeah. ne- like eighty percent or seventy to eighty percent of my leads are on the neck pickup. But okay. it all do, it, that everything like that is subjective because sometimes you know if you want to hit a bend like a certain way and get like that like like harmonic overtone to it that like almost has to be, be on, the bridge. on the bridge pickup yeah. in, in order to achieve that. Okay, um, that also you know you can do that sometimes on the neck pickup but that would depend on your tone and like finger tone is obviously another a really big part of that as well the way your actual hands sound but typically i always tend to go to the neck pickup for the really fast shreddy lead stuff and you can split the coils on your guitar too yes you do that often for clean parts yes Mm -hmm. yeah for that's what i essentially just wanted a streamlined way to get to that coil tapped sound that single coil bright shimmery sound for cleans and for in my songs, there's a couple parts where I really, really wanted to be on that configuration, but with how fast everything's going by in the song, like right. I just didn't have enough time and a live element to like switch two switches, like put the top switch like in the middle, uh, so that way I was using both magnetic and piezo, and then switch the bottom one to the middle, so that way it knows to go to coil tap, and then hit the tone knob up to activate the coil tap. Um, all that configure being able to have that much configuration is awesome, but 
in a live element for my song the way that I needed to play it. I just didn't have enough time to switch all those things. So on mine, we just made it go right to a coil tap as soon as you put the switch in the middle. So middle position is... Coil tap. The, is it the outside? Or the yeah, inside? I'm pretty positive the it's the, out, okay. the outer two. So that's your clean tone and right in the middle. Mm-hmm. Okay, yep. cool. And then with mine, the bridge pick or the tone knob, when you push it up, then it's full single coil. So if it would be only, if you, the switch was down, it would be only the bottom coil. And then when the switch is up, it'd be only the top coil. So it kind of switch, switches back and forth between like a really thick like humbucker guitar and then like what you would expect to get out of like a Strat or yeah. something like that. It can switch back and forth. Yeah, nice. All right, we got a lot more to talk about, but first this. Going on now at Guitar Center, the Ernie Ball Great Gear Giveaway, where one lucky winner will win over $50,000 in prizes from Ernie Ball Music Man, SKB, Electro Voice, Dynacord, Pedal Train, Vic Firth, Latin Percussion, Zildjian, Tune Track, Guitar Center, DNA Guitar Gear, DW, Remo, TC Electronic, Blue Microphone, Universal Audio, Ampeg, Orange Amplifiers, JHS Pedals, Korg, Martin Guitar, and Ernie Ball. To enter, find codes inside select packs of Ernie Ball strings in Guitar Center stores and at guitarcenter.com between now and October 30th, 2019. U.S. residents only, visit ernieball.com slash giveaway for full official rules. Ernie Ball presents the Great Gear Giveaway going on now only at Guitar Center. All right, I want to go back to that timeline real quick. So you actually left high school to play guitar with All Shall Perish. Mm-hmm. Uh, was not finishing school hard on your parents or did they understand that you were fulfilling your destiny as a guitar deity? Uh, uh, I feel like uh, it was harder for my mom than my dad because uh, my dad's a musician. Um, so he definitely, he got it. Like he flew out uh, with me to California for like uh, the first All Shall Parish practices and all that stuff because I was only 17 at the time. Wow. I wasn't even technically a legal adult yet. Um, I couldn't even drink in Canada on the first time I went up there. But I definitely think uh, I was supposed to finish uh, because the the bass player in the band actually was a math tutor off tour. So like as much oh, as okay. as much as an alcoholic as he was, he actually had some gears turning up there for sure. things like that. So he was supposed to um, like school me or whatever yeah. while we were on the road. We tried it a couple times and just in a van and stuff like that. We literally tried once, and I was just like. I don't care. At least you <laughs> had that that pretext going into it. Probably made your your family. Yeah, feel it made better. it. A, it made a, them ex- let a me do it. in the band. Yeah, it made the it made them let me do it. But yeah. they we were supposed to be doing stuff the whole time, and then like I was gone for such a long period of time. When I finally did come back before the school year was over, they weren't going to let me back in to my high school for whatever reason. Um, but I mean now, like, or or another thing too, I should bring up is I did summer programs at Berkeley College of Music. Okay. Before I left high school, I did sophomore of my or summer of my sophomore year and summer of my junior year, and then I dropped out February of my senior year. Okay. So I had done everything. I'd taken all the tests and done everything I need to. I just didn't sit in a classroom for like four or five more months. That was pretty much it. Yeah. Or else I'd have my GED. Still don't have it. Now it's kind of just like a bragging point for me now to not have it. <laughs> yeah, to not have it. Hey, Dave Grohl yeah. doesn't have one either, so. I can't say I'll never get one because I think Alexi Laiho, if I remember, don't. I, this could be incorrect, but I remember hearing that like he have, he dropped out of high school, the children of Bodum guitar player, and then g- got his GED like in his 30s. And I'm only 28. So. There you go. Plenty of time. Yeah. So I can't say never, but it's not a likely thing. I'm, I'd rather play video games or write music. Yeah. Or practice. Speaking of that, did you have much time for homework in high school when you're, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. yeah? I mean, I did. I was a, I was an all right student. I'd say I'd, I'd get like B's and C's. Yeah. How much were you, were you 
pretty much plugging into the guitar right mm-hmm. when you got home though? Yeah. yeah. I would come home and just learn dream theater songs. Yeah. Not even kidding. There I learned I knew at one point I knew how to play all of the change of seasons front to back, which is like a twenty two minute song or something like that. Separated into like five sections. So I told myself, I was like, all right, over the course of this week and come home from school and learn the first part. Next day, I'm gonna practice the first part, learn the second part, and then so on and so forth throughout the whole week till eventually, you know, I add the whole song in there. And then I just that next week I just come home from school and play the whole song. And so getting into All Shall Perish, that was a you submitted a video, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Did they did they solicit entries basically online uh, or something? Or? This was back when MySpace was still the okay. thing, okay. like uh, before everything else took over. Um, and I think they posted like a bulletin or something on their on their MySpace or something like an ad for a new lead guitar player. And it was a band you listened to. Yeah, it was a band yeah. that the, the band that I was in at the time was called Gallows Hill. Actually, then the bass player of that band went on to play. He plays bass for Veil of Maya now, and they're another like international touring act that is out all the time. And he's been with them for like eight years now. Um, we were all in a band together, and then one day at practice, but the other guitar player of the band was like, "Hey, or I saw All Shaw Parish is looking for a new lead guitar player. Like, you should send him a video." I'm like, fuck it. And then they hit me back in like twelve hours. Like, I had I had an email back already from like we had sent it that night. And then I had a, already had an email in my inbox, like on my way to school the next morning. You were in. They yeah, wanted you pretty much. Yeah, yeah. it literally yeah. was like tw- like not even a day. Like filmed the videos. My dad helped me film. Them, we sent them to him, and then they called me that next night. Is that wait? Is that video online? Yeah. Did I already ask about that one? Uh, that one is too. I didn't put that one up. Okay. Um, it was on like a private link that only they could view because my dad my dad knows computers and all of that kind of, all of that kind of stuff. So he made like a private link for them to watch the videos because I wasn't. I didn't want them to be on the internet because it was just for them to see, yeah. like that I could play the songs. Yeah. But eventually, someone found them and just put them on YouTube. Okay, so that's five years into your guitar playing, or taking it seriously at least. Yeah, yeah. twelve is when I really, really, really started focusing on it. Yeah. I had maybe just like messed around before, like right. some GCD, maybe mm-hmm. that Blink One Eighty Two song, yeah. and that's. But that's pretty much it. I didn't okay. start taking like really, really focusing on the instrument until that Christmas when I got. How did one. you? How did you start getting noticed, or how did you start getting on the map as a guitar player? Was it from a certain band, or was it from personal videos you're putting out online? Uh, I definitely think it started with All Shot Parish, okay. like for sure. That definitely got people noticing because they were like, "Who's this kid yeah. play, playing all of these crazy?" How solos? much older were they? Uh, they were probably, I think, in their early thirties, somewhere around there at that time. Oh, wow. early, early okay. to like, in, yeah, definitely all like thirties. Maybe one or two of them might have been late twenties. I think at that time, because okay. this was like eleven, ten, holy shit, eleven years ago now. <laughs> yeah, that, that was eleven years ago now. So if I'm remembering correctly, not to insult any of the other guys, I think it was everyone was either in their thirties or late twenties, at least ten years older than me. Yeah, yeah, at least. I'm kind of back in that same scenario now yeah. with all the remains, <laughs> but it's fine. All right, so so you're getting noticed in that band. Are you doing social media stuff, putting out um, videos? Well, I had a I had a YouTube that I ended up losing the account for, or I mean the uh, the password for. So that one's floating around there somewhere. <laughs> okay. My old YouTube channel with a couple of videos on there. Yeah, but after I was only with them for like ten months, I think I wasn't even with them a year. Uh, I didn't write anything with them. I just did a bunch of tours, and then I ended up joining Born of Osiris. I feel like that's where things are. Or things with like Facebook and stuff like that, where I'd go and check my like friend requests, and all of a sudden there'd be like two hundred something friend requests or something like that. Yeah, that I just from like doing things with them, and that's when things started really pop off. Once I started doing more stuff with Born of Osiris, because they were like a um, a younger band with a more I'd say hype. 
at, at that time. Okay. Then we wrote an album together, music videos. That's where other social media started to really like get more popular, like with Twitter and Instagram and all of that stuff. And um, and then it just kind of just kept growing from there. Uh, they kicked me out, and then I joined Chelsea Grin. Why'd they kick you out? Can we talk about that? Uh, because I would bitch about the amount of drugs that they would do. Really? And the amount of drinking and like smoking, cig- trying to smoke cigarettes inside the van and shit like that. Yeah. Well, let's keep going with the band, the band timeline. So mm-hmm. then where do you go from there? Chelsea Grin? Uh, yeah. So I went All Shall Perish, uh, Born of Osiris for a couple of years. We did one album um, and then Chelsea Grin after that. And I was with them for almost four years. And we did one EP and one album together. And then once I quit, or once I quit them, we quit, we split amicably. It was just like, that wasn't the outlet or the appropriate outlet for what I wanted to write, if that makes sense. Because they're way more of a, they'd already had like two or three albums out before I joined the band. So they had a fan base that knew them for a specific sound. You know what I mean? And so it, it's not a smart business decision for me to come in and just write like, I don't want to say Born of Osiris type stuff, but like just more more techie, kind of like complicated, more intricate things because Chelsea Grin's fan base is like super heavy, like breakdowny, sludgy almost kind of stuff. Yeah. And um, it just got to the point where I just didn't want to write. I just couldn't write stuff like that anymore. I needed the outlet that would let me do literally whatever I want. And that's when I ended up realizing that I needed to quit quit them and just pursue my own thing. Work on your solo material. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that's when stuff really started like exponentially blowing up for yeah. me. So you came out with a, a few solos, I mean, sorry, uh, singles. Mm-hmm. And then you have your solo album, which is not I, but one. Roman numeral one. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. It could, it could go either way. Okay. Yeah. But I call it one. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. And then from there, no. So recently, then you joined All That Remains. All That Remains. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, that was uh, beginning of the year, technically. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it's book ended with uh, All Shall Perish, All That Remains. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, three word b- band names, yeah. starting with All. <laughs> <laughs> I'd played, uh, or I'd played shows with them like 10, 11 years ago when I was in All Shall Perish. Oh wow. We had played a couple oh, shows cool. together. Yeah. So clearly, you've pl- you've played with various heavy bands. For our audience that hasn't stayed current with the metal scene, can you help us untangle the uh, metal subgenres like um, no deathcore, metalcore? <laughs> no, <laughs> I don't know. I hate. No I, guidance there. Uh, I don't really ever pay attention to that. I, hmm. People always bring it up, and I'm just like, that's silly. Like, <laughs> it's not. Yeah. It's really not necessary. It's just like. I know that deathcore means it's like breakdowns and that meaning you put your finger on the first fret and you play a tritone and you make a really mad face and you just like, sometimes it's like 15 quarter notes before you hit the next chug. It's like, dun, dun, dun. I don't know. Okay, so that's deathcore. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I don't know, metalcore would be more riffy, I guess in a way, kind of like All Remains, like the band that I'm in now. Um, which they helped create that sound, in my opinion, like in the mid 2000s. Yeah. Uh, it was like them, Kill Switch Engage, As They Lay Dying, like all of those bands were getting really, really, really popular all right around the same time, like back in the early or mid to late 2000s. So I, I definitely think All the Remains helped make that sound like really popular and more yeah. of like a accessible okay. uh, kind of genre. Because they had the clean, like there's all the, the singing choruses. It's not just screaming the whole time, all those bands. They all have like yeah. singing choruses that makes it a lot less off-putting for someone that doesn't, there's like, oh, I can't even understand what they're saying. They're just yelling the whole time. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Like, because that's what a lot of people think. But even even I'm honestly kind of getting to that point almost. Like I don't even listen to metal anymore. Really? I don't. Uh-uh. Oh. 
I listen to like film scores and pop music. Really? Yeah, on my way over here, I was listening to Taylor Swift's new album. <laughs> That's often playing in my uh, minivan, actually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, which strings do you use? Uh, D-Dario. Damn, I think we brought the wrong guy in here. <laughs> uh, no, I I use um I use Dunlop actually. Oh, okay. Uh, I was gonna say. No, I'm yeah. kidding. I use I, I use Ernie Ball uh, primarily the Cobalts. Cobalts, um, okay. Yeah, gauge wise, uh, for a drop A, which is just standard tuning with um the low string drop the whole step. Mm-hmm. Uh, I use ten to fifty six for that, and then uh, a step down from that drop G, which would be G D G C F A D. Um, I use one gauge higher, eleven to fifty eight. Okay, and those mm-hmm. are Cobalts. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I pretty much tend to use cobalts. Um, I'll use paradigms every now and then. Kind of just depends on what I have. Because mm-hmm. um, I don't like that. We'll order uh, Ernie Ball is so sick that like you order a ton of strings and you just like you don't use all of them. So sometimes I don't even have a, have to place an order for like the next tour or something like that if I still have a ton of strings. So yeah. anything that pushes you towards the cobalts. Um. They definitely, I they sound really, really, really good. I, I don't know if I can necessarily put my finger exactly on what yeah. that is, but. Um, there is a chart on the back of the packs that yeah. have like a spectrum, yeah. a frequency range yeah, yeah. Uh, analysis of all that, and there. you can definitely see it for yeah. sure compared to other ones. Yeah, uh, the paradigms are sick as well because they're more of like the natural, just like normal slinky feelings. But you you can tell that they're like yeah, you they're can tough. bend the like the crap out of them, and yeah. they're they're always Without in worrying. tune. Yeah, yeah, they're always in tune, and they just go right back. Uh, what's your touring schedule right now, and what's next for writing and recording? Uh, touring schedule has been chaotic this year. I haven't had longer than like a week to two weeks off in between everything. And it's definitely, uh, it gets busy is good, but break time and like sanity and all that stuff is also very cool. So all that remains right yes. now is what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's been pr- primarily all, all that remains pretty much the whole year. But then I had, um, or, uh, John, uh, dream theater hit me up to, for me and Luke, my solo stuff to come on tour with them in Europe. Right. And Luke's your drummer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Luke Holland. It's and pretty much you two guys, right? Yeah. It's, yeah. that's it. It's yeah. just us two. And then, um, so essentially I'll write the majority of the stuff and then he'll take all the drum parts and, uh, make them way cooler and turn them into his own thing. But, and, but there have also been a couple songs too, and we're going to try and do oh, this. Will you program drums while you're, when you're writing it mm-hmm. and then you turn that over to him and then he'll yeah, do what and he then, wants with it. Yeah. And then he makes it like a lot cooler yeah. essentially. So I'll put like the meat and bones there and then he'll shape it into his own thing. But there have been a couple songs where it started from a drum beat that he gave me. So it's like he would give me like a groove, a pattern or a beat or something like that. And then that essentially sparks the idea for that song. Okay. And we're going to try and do that a lot more uh, on this next one too. Since I'm gone all the time, like I haven't been able to really like be anywhere near as efficient yeah. as I want to with writing for this one, especially within the past year. With having such minimal downtime, like you want that, like you get home, you're like, all right, cool, I'm just going to chill. I'm just going to decompress for like a few days. I've been going nonstop for like a month, if not longer sometimes. It's like, I just want to do nothing for like a few days. And then with my schedule is the way it's been, by the time that that few day period is over with, it's already time for me to start getting ready to leave and go out again. So I've barely had any time to write at all. Like right now, for example, like I'm finally back into like home, like chill time is like almost over with. And then I leave again in two days. Will this new album be called two? The Roman Probably. numeral two? Possibly. Okay. Probably most likely. I don't likely. want to spoil anything. Yeah. Or it might be, it might be an EP. It, it, it all depends on how much material I can get written within like, because we want to get something out sooner rather than later since it's already been like three years since the last one came out. We yeah. put one song out out uh, since the album Tendinitis that came out last year, but I want to get more stuff out sooner than later. So if I can get like five or six more songs completely finished that are all really, really sick songs, 
we might just do that, like a shorter, like a decent length EP, as opposed to like a full blown, like hour long yeah. album or something like that. Yeah. Okay. What's the best and worst part of your job besides interviews for podcasts? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the best and worst part. Um, well, the best part is definitely our playing the shows. I feel like like getting to like see people's reaction and like yeah. share that with them because they're that stoked and you get to like go up there and play your instrument, which is awesome. And getting to see all these crazy places that I never would have ever thought I'd ever see before. Yeah, do you get time to do a little sightseeing? Sometimes, yeah. yeah. It all depends. It, it depends, but whenever I do have the opportunity, especially if it's a place I haven't been before, like on that Dream Theater tour that we just did, for example, like we went to Athens nice. and uh, Malta. Have you ever even heard of Malta? Yeah, but I haven't yeah. been there. And I'd like it's, to. Yeah, it's just yeah. A, it's just its own like thing in the yeah. Mediterranean. It's right. just an island. Um, so we played there. We went to Bulgaria. Like it's it's definitely cool to be able to go to all these corners of the earth and then so much history in these yeah. places if you can get out get out there and mm-hmm. see it. Yeah, yeah, that's why like at, at uh, Athens we went to the Acropolis. Yeah, and, Athens well, is the best. Yeah, yeah, like that was insane. Just being able to go out there, look around, and be like, holy shit, stuff went down here. <laughs> Like a lot of yeah, stuff. Yeah. And actually, funny story about that show in particular. That day, the airline, whaling, whaling, however you say it, I don't care. They suck. They lost all of our bags on the flight to that show. Seven check bags. Any instruments? Yes, all of them. <laughs> I had one I had one guitar case, like one of the triple tall cases for um yeah. it holds three guitars. They lost that. They lost all the pelicans. They literally lost everything that we checked. I hit John up. I was like, yo, airline lost all all of my stuff. Can I borrow a guitar? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, man, no problem. And then uh, he's like, I have an axe fix if you need that too. And then Animals as Leaders, uh, which is another one of our friends' bands, they were playing that show as well. So we had enough gear and homies and everyone to pull the show off if nothing ended up coming. So I was like fuming, like so mad at like this, this situation that, and I was like, I'm going to go to the Acropolis by myself, just like decompress, just like see some cool stuff. And then, um, or John was texting me. He was like, "Hey, you heard anything yet?" I was like, "Nope, still nothing." And then I get to the feet of the the foot of the Acropolis, like right before I go to go in. The airline calls me and told tell me told me that they have everything and it'll be there in like a couple hours. So there, you can enjoy your uh, scenery now. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And John was like, "Greet God intervention." <laughs> <laughs> and then everything showed up fifteen minutes before doors opened for the show that night. Would you have played a, a Majesty if the stuff didn't come through? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. I think I, I did it one night or for one song every night anyway because yeah. of tuning changes. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have goals now for your guitar playing or is it more about writing? I would like to be a lot better at improv. Improv, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's nothing I ever really like focused, focused on. Yeah. I was always more focused on learning like songs and pieces right. and practicing them and getting yeah. them down like Pat. Uh, not so much just like, because I've never really been a big blues fan or anything like that and that's mm. very much heavily improvisation based like almost the whole thing um i just never really like that just never really like piqued my interest like the sound of it or some or stuff like i respect it obviously but yeah it's nothing that i ever just like sit down and just like listen to right um so I, i kind of just like never really focused on the whole like getting really 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 good at improvisation anytime i do it people tell me i do a good job and it's fine but i know in my head like i'm comparing it to like my pre written stuff that yeah. I know like step by step and it's like that's what people I feel like are expecting from me when I go to do improvisation or these like really really intricate like crazy solos yeah, write those solos on the spot yeah exactly yeah 
So, but that would be nice to be able to get to that point. So I guess that's, I guess that's a goal for myself right now. So is how to be do you able practice to, that? I don't. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's coming I mean, though. Yeah. I need to work yeah. on it a lot, okay. a lot more. All right. Let's get off the guitar path for a moment. Sometimes fans like to learn some uh, random factoids. Okay. Uh, any hobbies, books, TV shows that you're, you're into? I feel like hobbies would definitely be, um, I like video games a lot. Okay. Yeah. I have, do you have the same drive to master a video game as you do with the guitar? No, definitely not. I like hoarding tons of them, but I, I'm not a completionist when it like comes to like 100%ing a game. I have too many of them to do that. I like playing it more for like the campaign and like the actual like storyline of a game. I can't just like go online and just play the same multiplayer rounds like over and 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 over again. Like games like Fortnite or Call of Duty or something like that. Like there's so many people that that's the only game that they play like literally the only thing so you just spawn and then you die and it takes like two three weeks of that in order to even just like have fun during like one match because you have to like build up to being able to even keep up with these players where that's the only games that they play so i pretty much just like i'll go like right now i'm playing gears of war 5 like that just came out and that's like primarily what i've been doing since i got back home a few days ago and there was another game that also just came out called Man of Madon, which is essentially just uh, it's a, you're essentially playing a movie, is what it is. Like it's you get to pick. Uh, it's very like decision based, and that affects the outcome. So there's multiple different outcomes that could all happen. So I could go back and play it again, and I would get a completely different like scenario throughout like the whole game. Okay. But like the way everything is played too it's literally like all really cinematic like angles like you're not just like running around like completely randomly but you have full control over the character you can walk around pick stuff up look at it read notes and like clues and stuff like that but all the angles of it make it look like a movie i think duck hunt was the last video game i played so this is yeah this is good it's, stuff yeah it's uh evolved a little yeah, bit a little bit since then okay. <laughs> any tv shows uh, yeah i just started watching that righteous gemstones oh. one it's so good I love that. It's show. so good. Adam Devine and Danny McBride is like a ridiculously solid combo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Any other hobbies or? Well, we talked about the Rubik's cubes. Those yeah. are fun. You um, got a dog. I do have a dog. I have a pug. Yeah. And he's awesome, dude. This is his name. D zero zero D. Most like, most uh, most people that actually like follow me online, they definitely know about him. Yeah. Okay. For sure. I have shirts with him on it. It's essentially the video game Doom. You remember that game? Dumb. It was like, well, that this that was like one of their original first-person shooters back in the early '90s. Oh, okay. Like, like DOS operating system. I remember playing that game when I was like five or six on my dad's computer. My mom would get mad at my dad for letting me do it. And he's like, he's like five. He doesn't know what he's doing. He doesn't know they're demons from hell. Chill out. Like, <laughs> <laughs> pretty much. Um, so I made a shirt with my dog on it. Essentially, my I had the idea and then my friend who's really really good at photoshop is actually a guitar player from polyphia uh tim and he took or he was able to photoshop dude into the doom like video game artwork and then just make it say dude with the crazy like doom font instead of doom so nice okay that's his shirt can you recommend three albums that were either influential for you or just three albums you think people should know about three albums influential for me all right i'm trying to i'll do ones that maybe like really want to start playing guitar uh back or when i was 12 yeah i think we've heard about one of them yeah so dream theater train of thought obviously um i think the other one that really made me want to start doing that stuff was children of bodom fall the reaper the the blue one and then i'll have to say riff wise it'd be lamb of god uh ashes of the wake so those three albums when it comes to guitar playing like really did a ton for me i pretty much learned 
every song on all three of those albums. Nice. Mm-hmm. Cool. Good to know. Do you have a song or solo you're most proud of? Uh, those questions are always so hard. Uh, what, what about the aviator solo? Does that stand out to you? Yeah, that's definitely a sick one. I don't, I don't think it's uh I don't know why it doesn't just stand out immediately to me as like one of my favorites, but okay. it's definitely awesome. Like yeah. I, I love that solo. Uh, damn. I wrote that one like five years ago now too. I think that song came out in like 2014 or that's when we did the, the music video for that one with the Polyphia guys. If I, what could I do like three? Of course. Yeah. yeah All right. I'll do like three. That'll okay. be easier than just to okay. pick like, I like this one's my favorite. Yeah, just stuff uh, <laughs> that might stand out. Yeah. Uh, if Aviator is definitely one of them. Probably if I had to pick a second one, uh, maybe even like the newest one that I did with them uh, off Nasty. Uh, I did another song with them on their uh, their most recent album that's out, New Levels, New Devils. And that's the first song on there. I did another solo. I like that one a lot. Yeah. And third, possibly, uh, I mean, I love everything that's on my album, but now that I'm like actually kind of like thinking hard about it, it might have to be the Behold off of uh, the Born of Osiris album that I did. It was the last song on that album, The Discovery. So the album Discovery, okay. Yeah, it's yeah. the last song on that album. And that was, um, those last two tracks are the only ones that I wrote 100% of, minus vocals. Okay, mm-hmm. nice. And I wrote those very, like the initial version of that song when I was still in high school. So that is essentially just me like taking a song I wrote in high school and like expanding upon it more when it was came time to put it on that CD. Same with the Fall of the Sign solo as well, which is another really, really popular solo from that album. Um, I wrote that the very first version of that solo, I think when I was like 15. Anything you, in particular you want the audience to check out or know about? Do you have a, a lesson program? Um, well, I have stuff on my site, uh, okay. just jasonrichardsonmusic.com. Um, there's no videos or anything, um, but it's all, I have a bunch of stuff written out, like a bunch of exercises, like string skipping ones, uh, scale ones. I have a scale one that essentially it's, it's, I think it's like eight different types of scales, which obviously there's way more different types of scales, but those are the main ones I can think of off the top of my head that would probably be beneficial to someone that has never really gone out of their way to really try and learn a bunch. Um, and then each one of those has like accompanying exercises to that scale. There's like three different exercises for each one along with the fingering of the scale. Cool. Okay. So it kind That's of on your like, site? Yeah. How much does it cost? It's like twelve fifty for that one wow, yeah, okay. in particular. They're all twelve fifty like individually. Yeah. I think I have four of them up. There's like the secret of the sweep, which is an arpeggio one, that scale one, I have a string skipping one, and then there's a I have a second sweeping one. But there's a bundle online uh, where you can get all of them for cheaper than buying them separately. So what would 12-year-old Jason Richardson say if he could look forward in time and see where you are today? <sighs> He'd probably die from a heart attack. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or just be like, no. Or punch the person in the face because they're so mean. <laughs> you For know what I mean? Teasing you with that dream? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. That's, That's pretty awesome. much it. Yeah. Yeah. I can't really think of any other. Because I think about that every now and then. And it's like, it's weird to kind of like, you have to always like check yourself, you know, and put your, put everything in perspective. Because it's just like, this is like what you've been working for technically your whole life now. And it's like happening. So it's like. You were saving up for a John Petrucci signature model. Mm-hmm. Now I have like your own music man signature model. Yeah. And I have like 12, if not more of John's. Yeah. (laughs) Something like that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Life's weird. That's all I have to say about that. Life is a strange ride. Jason Richardson. Thanks for being on the podcast. Evan Ball. Thanks for being on the podcast. You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for tuning in to Striking a Chord, a podcast presented by Ernie Ball. If you enjoyed it, we'd love a kind review on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. If you'd like to suggest future guests, email strikingaccord at ernieball.com.
maybe get a little extra spit in your mouth. So it's like, <laughs> and that too. <clears throat> ASMR. Autonomous sensory meridian response. Boom. I will say uh, we're not on shock mounts, so sounds on the table are yes. going to get picked up, so just dead. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, is your phone off? It is on silent. I'll put it in my pocket so it doesn't vibrate into the mic. Okay. You Ready? We're, we're speeding. Okay. Jason Richardson, welcome to the podcast. 